Welcome to Nicosia Uncut. In this episode, we look behind the headlines and deconstruct assumptions about the EU Council conclusions. We discussed how the change setting affects the resumption of the Cyprus problem talks and provide a local insight to the Turkish Cypriot leadership elections and voting patterns. Welcome to Nicosia Uncut. Hello, Andromahi. Uh, hello, Kemal. How are you? I'm okay. It's been a month and last time we were together, we were discussing about the mess in Eastern Mediterranean. And since then, um, there have been many things. Uh, there was a crisis, there were tensions, and then there was a European Union summit with the leaders of the European Union countries. Clearly, um, Cyprus had uh, big expectations from this summit. And uh, we have heard about how Cyprus linked the issue of Turkey is met with the sanctions in Belarus. And uh, maybe we can start by talking about what were the expectations from this summit. Those expectations have been met. And uh, how does this affect the Cyprus problem? Yes, well, I think that the, just like we had been discussing in the last podcast uh, episode, the Republic of Cyprus had attempted to link the sanctions against Belarus with the sanctions against Turkey. This approach received a massive backlash from other European Union uh, members who basically saw uh, Cyprus's attempt as um, as an attack against human rights, basically, because they felt that Cyprus was downgrading the importance of what was happening in Belarus uh, by linking it to what is happening in its internationally recognized ex- exclusive economic zone. It is clear that the Republic of Cyprus had created uh, big expectations about the summit that took place on the 1st and 2nd of October. Even the day before leaving for the summit, the Republic of Cyprus President Nikos Anastasiadis actually made the claim that he will attempt to save the um, dignity of Europe uh, and of Cyprus by uh, his stance in the summit. These are Uh, very strong words. Very strong words. And, you know, I I think it is important to mention that... uh, Seeing the backlash that was created, there was a tacit attempt by the Republic of Cyprus to shift the rhetoric by claiming that they, in fact, had not put a veto to sanctions against Belarus and that they they were only trying to link the two issues because that had been agreed by the, uh, by the European Union itself in the Berlin meeting uh, a month ago. However, this claim had been denied by the EU High Representative Josep Borrell himself. It was clear that in the past one or two weeks, the Republic of Cyprus had been eager to find a way to save itself from the backlash that it received because of this connection uh, of the two issues. I mean, we had the French uh, Minister of European Affairs openly saying in an interview that he had told his Cypriot counterparts that they are not doing themselves justice by linking the two issues. You had representatives from the German federal uh, uh, parliament basically saying that what Cyprus is doing is a disgrace. So regardless of what uh, Republic of Cyprus politicians and some analysts in the country uh, attempted to say, it was clear that uh, what Nicosia had been doing did not gain 
it um, support uh, within the European Union. We discussed before between ourselves that uh, veto is like a double-edged sword. On one hand, each and every country is entitled to use veto when it comes to foreign policy. It is understandable, it is a right, it's an agreement. But on the other hand, if you use it at a time which is not necessarily justified in the eyes of the other members, and especially when and if you are a small country, then probably in the long run it has other repercussions. So what were the realistic expectations of Republic of Cyprus authorities in that sense? Are, were they trying to use it as a simple bargaining power? Were they really expecting that uh, they will actually get what they want from this veto? First of all, on the one hand, you're right in what you say about the veto. And in fact, a huge discussion has now started within the European Union itself about the issue of unanimity and the need for unanimity in foreign policy decisions, because Cyprus's veto was seen as a stumbling block to pro uh, proceeding with a substantial foreign policy decisions for the EU and therefore this whole discussion has now started as to whether a simple majority should be needed for foreign policy decisions but this is another issue when it comes to the Republic of Cyprus it really is mind-boggling to think of what the Republic of Cyprus was trying to do because if, if we look at what it, it finally achieved one can say that it basically achieved nothing. The only thing that was basically achieved for the Republic of Cyprus was that it gained a lot of mistrust from its European partners that, that have seen Cyprus as a stumbling block to uh, proceeding with the EU foreign policy decisions. And in the end, if one looks at the conclusions of the EU summit, really, it got Cyprus nowhere and it, got Cy it put Cyprus into a point in which not even Greece its supposed ally could back it up. So that is that is very interesting to think about. And when you have, just like I mentioned, when you have the French Minister of European Matters openly going against uh, the, the policy drafted by the Republic of Cyprus, one should wonder what the Republic of Cyprus was trying to achieve. So ju just to clarify, no, sanctions were not imposed on Turkey uh, in the EU summit. Uh, on the contrary, Turkey was, uh, was given a promise that in case there are constructive efforts to stop illegal activities vis-à-vis uh, -vis Greece and Cyprus, then a positive political EU-Turkey agenda would commence. And at the same time, the only thing that the Republic of Cyprus got from its whole uh, sanctions rhetoric was a, a mere mention to the European Union using all instruments and tools uh, in its power uh, in case provocations in breach of international law continue. So it was a blunder when it comes to Cyprus's foreign policy and we need to be made clear about this. How did it reflect on the uh, local press? How was it taken by the Greek Cypriot media? No, the local press is always a parallel uh, universe when it comes to the way that they report <laughs> issues. So they are never, you know, a good uh, guiding uh, <laughs> uh, example. Well, no, I mean, the local press actually saw it as a success. And it was clear that this was the line dictated by the government that said that this was a successful summit and that Cyprus managed to get uh, what it wanted. In fact, President Nikos Anastasiadis, in his press conference after this, the day after the summit, he explicitly said that had, had Cyprus not followed this approach, then it wouldn't have been able 
people to reach to these conclusions. What they're now trying to do is basically save their reputation because of everything that had um, taken place beforehand. And a lot of journalists have reported that this was a success for the country. There is also a reference, of course, to the solution of the Cyprus problem under the auspices of UN. And there is clear um, support to the process led by uh, Antonio Guterres. So I think this is just another uh, outcome. We'll come to that. But before that, is there a recent reflection in the Greek Cypriot press regarding the talks between Turkey and Greece? Well, this is another thing because, uh, as you know, uh, Greece and Turkey have agreed to launch exploratory talks on the dispute amongst them. And in fact, this has been perceived by some media as as a betrayal against Cyprus. Basically, Cyprus, some media report that Cyprus is being set aside and that Greece has chosen to only focus on its own um, issues with Turkey rather than putting the um, Turkish provocations vis-à-vis Cyprus in the, um, in the wider spectrum as well of its relations with Turkey. It is clear that Greece is trying to de-escalate the tension with Turkey. Just like we have said many times in the past, Greece and Turkey are NATO allies. So you understand that the mechanisms uh, that emerge in a possible dispute between Greece and Turkey uh, are of a much greater extent than any mechanism that can be put in motion uh, in the case of the Cyprus-Turkish disputes, especially when you have a pending Cyprus problem um, solution that many Europeans see as basically the reason for the tension between Cyprus and Turkey. I was wondering how the elections in the US affected the intervention of Americans into the process. Traditionally, in the past, they are the ones who are stepping in and trying to solve the problems. This time, it seems like it's Germany playing this role. And um, despite everything, Germany, I think, is a rather uh, successful player in this game by bringing two sides together around the same table. Yes, I think it is clear that Germany is now in control of what happens when it comes to the Cyprus-Turkey dispute. At the same time, Germany played a key role in the de-escalation between uh, Greece and Turkey. Uh, So it is clear that it is now uh, the European Union that emerges as a more powerful uh, agent in this in, in sorting out these disputes um, rather than the US that for its own reasons appears to be m- more favorable towards a withdrawal from uh, the Eastern Mediterranean issues. But just an, a thing I would like to say on because you were asking about what is this, whether this summit was a success or not, etc. I think that this summit was also also helped demolish the arguments of those that claim that the Cyprus problem has nothing to do with the energy disputes in the region and the claims that the European Union stance has nothing to do with the pending Cyprus problem itself. And it is clear that this um, myth has now been deconstructed because at uh, the conclusions of a summit that was supposedly going to deal with uh, EU-Turkey issues, 
there was an explicit reference to the need for the speedy resumption of negotiations on the Cyprus problem. I have read many reports by journalists in Brussels who claim that they have spoken to EU officials and that their impression is that uh, every EU official perceives the Cyprus problem as the stumbling block in, in the attempts for de-escalation in the region. And therefore, it is clear that all of those people that have created the rhetoric that uh, the Cyprus problem is not impacting either the energy uh, developments in Cyprus and in the region or our reputation within the European Union have basically been disproven. And this ha had been the dominant impression both in the Greek Cypriot press, but this had also been the, the, the constant claim of the Republic of Cyprus government as well. And this is now crashed. This is where the real issue is about how the Republic of Cyprus will proceed from now on. Anybody with the right mind would realize that Cyprus geographically, politically, historically, in all senses, is in the heart of this problem. How can someone think that Cyprus problem can really be bypassed and then all matters should be discussed separately? And we also need to remember that EU was present um, around the table in Crown Montana. So I think they have a good understanding of what has been going on there on that front as well. Can you maybe discuss a little bit? I found myself as if I'm actually uh, the one, you're my guest. In yes. the second part, you do, you play yes. this part and then I answer your questions. Okay. Because you are also been working on this a lot. Um, but can you maybe explain a little bit how Cyprus problem uh, found a place in the conclusions? How, how was it defined? There was an explicit reference in EU summit conclusions about the need for a speedy uh, resumption of negotiations under the auspices of the United Nations. There was an important development because it was mentioned that the EU stands ready to play an active role in supporting the negotiations. And there was an explicit mention about the, the EU's intention to appoint a representative to the UN Good Offices mission. This is very important because on the one hand, as you said, the EU was present in Grand Montana, but it was not present as part of the UN Good Offices mission. So it will be very interesting to see whether uh, this thought is um, proceeds. And secondly, whether Turkey itself accepts this enhanced role by the European Union within the UN Good Offices mission, because uh, Turkey has, uh, has many times referred to the biased uh, stance of the EU and what they perceive as a biased stance uh, on behalf of the EU when it comes to the Cyprus problem and when it comes to the Cyprus-Turkey relations. So on the one hand, you've got that. On the other hand, you also had a reference in the conclusions to the need for a multilateral conference on the Eastern Mediterranean. Where does the Cyprus problem come in here? Well, it is clear that the EU will attempt to put all the players around the table. This has been a discussion that has been going on for at least two months. Uh, we have been hearing it from the EU council head and from the EU high representative. So it is clear that they are going to attempt to put all the agents around the table. The main question now, though, is who we, the participants will be. As you know, the Republic of Cyprus does not accept to deal with the Turkish Cypriots in any other setting aside from the UN 
negotiations and aside from the auspices of the United Nations. This is the only uh, domain in which the Republic of Cyprus agrees to discuss with the Turkish Cypriot community. On the other hand, Turkey has made it clear that as, unless the Turkish Cypriots are part of such a conference, it will not accuse. So, um, at the same time, uh, you have the issue of who will represent the Turkish Cypriot community because it is well known that Turkey has been trying to set aside the Turkish Cypriot leader Mustafa Akinci and to put on the table people who belong in the Turkish Cypriot coalition. It, it will be interesting to see how the European Union will attempt to bridge this gap between Cyprus and Turkey, the Republic of Cyprus and Turkey, as to who will participate in, the, in, in such a conference. Uh, our hunch is that they will try to bypass this problem through the United Nations. Both the EU High Representative and the EU uh, Council Head have said that they are in touch with the United Nations uh, in preparation for this conference. So we suppose that the EU will basically attempt to use the United Nations in some way in order to overcome the stumbling block of whether the Turkish Cypriots will also participate or not. Because as the Republic of Cyprus has made it clear that it does not accept the participation of Turkish Cypriots. As it becomes evident that the European Union will give a boost to the Cyprus problem uh, negotiations after the elections in the Turkish Cypriot community, it becomes apparent that the elections uh, have, have just acquired a newly added importance uh, because it is clear that after the elections are over, all the eyes will be on the attempts to resume negotiations and there will be a boost from the European Union about them. So, how do you think that these expectations are reflected in the Turkish Cypriot community, Kemal? I mean, has there been any impact uh, on the election process following the, the EU Council or this talk about uh, negotiations after the elections? All interested listeners will remember that actually the elections had been postponed because of the virus. It was supposed to take place before. Now uh, we are going to have it exactly a week later uh, from today. And uh, if uh, any candidate cannot get more than half of the votes, then there will be second round between the uh, two um, leading candidates. Now, um, Cyprus problem, of course, is in the heart of any Turkish Cypriot leadership elections because we have a parliamentary system so basically what we are electing is somebody to talk on behalf of us in the cyprus talks so this is very important and everybody understands this having said that however the um, unsuccessful attempts in the past the failure of uh, of talks in crown montana disheartened many people that uh, uh, that uh, there will be any developments in um, in the talks while uh, Akinji is trying to bring up the Berlin Agreement of last November uh, into the discussion, I think the whole discussion nowadays is all about how the candidates are placing themselves against the intervention of Turkey into the Turkish Cypriot matters. And I think this is the first time ever in the history of elections that this issue has been discussed very openly 
as a priority issue. In the past, there have been um, leftist candidates who have uh, somehow uh, indirectly, sometimes openly referring to the interventions. But this is the first time a candidate, especially Mustafa Akıncı, is openly talking about that Turkey is conspiring against him. Turkish embassy is directly involved against him. And uh, the whole discussion now in the Turkish Cypriot community is whether um, the willpower and authority of the Turkish Cypriots will be accepted and acknowledged by uh, Turkey or will Turkey uh, succeed to um, replace a, a leader who is not necessarily taking direct orders. It is very interesting, Andromahi, before uh, I give you the word again, there was one television um, I was about to ask about this, yeah, about the debate, yes. <laughs> yes, there was one debate on the TV, which uh, Ersin Tatar, uh, UBP candidate and uh, current prime minister, last minute cancelled it and went to Turkey, supposedly to discuss about the aid package by Turkey to the Turkish Cypriots. And it created another discussion, of course. But um, it was also interesting to hear from Serdar Denktaş, son of uh, Rauf Denktaş, who's uh, also uh, who has been in the Turkish Cypriot politics for a long time now, who openly said that Turkey is interfering in the elections. Turkey is interfering in the Turkish Cypriot affairs, and that created, of course, a, an interesting, um, let's say. Uh, a, a, a space for Tufan Erhürman, who is hailing from JTP, who has traditionally been uh, more pro-solution and uh, pro-Turkish Cypriot uh, autonomy, who's always been against Turkey's intervention into uh, the Turkish Cypriot community. And, uh, and there has been many discussions whether... Um, Tufan Erhürman's uh, open statement that the willpower is in Nicosia is enough to really take a position against Turkey or not. As a pro-solution activist, Kemal, and uh, you are following the elections closely, are there such fears? And to what extent do you think Turkey would like to uh, take the matters when it comes to its interventions in the elections? Of course, the fact that Ersin Tatar did not attend the debate and he chose to go to Turkey in order to uh, claim that, uh, you know, he had received financial support from Turkey is an example of an intervention in the elections, in my opinion. But do you think that this intervention will take place in other forms as well? Yes, uh, we know that... Um... Also, it was written on Havadis newspaper, it was on the front page, and I think Embassy is now suing Havadis uh, newspaper because Havadis claimed that uh, Ambassador is acting like a militant, meaning inviting people from political parties to the Embassy, sending their people into the villages who would be listening, who have been traditionally um, uh, been listening to the uh, signals from Turkey, and um, and of course there are people who are uh, sent by Turkey to support uh, Ersin Tatar's campaign, and there are other similar examples, and of course there is this psychological pressure coming from uh, the media, uh, Turkish media from Turkey. So yes, there are many examples of intervention um, 
But interestingly, let's remember there has always been interventions. Maybe the scope of it was not that much. In fact, uh, interestingly, uh, Talat was supported uh, in his uh, second uh, bid, which he lost. So I can clearly tell you that it is not very simple. The relations between North Cyprus politics and Turkish politics have always been complex. We always have this reverse effect. Whenever Turkey is interfering on behalf of a candidate, yes, it is making um, things difficult for the opponents of that candidate, but also it is creating a reaction by the Turkish Cypriot voters toward the otherwise. And we also need to understand that while many Turkish Cypriots are holding Turkey in their hearts very dearly, um, they are also secular. Turkish Cypriots are secular and um, some of them seeing it as an intervention by Erdogan and AK Parti government rather than the Turkey. So there are all these complications. There are also party politics. We also know that uh, the UBP party is also like a coalition itself. We know that there are many people who are not in favor of Ersin Tatar and they are looking forward to see him losing the elections so that they can actually kick him out of, uh, from the leadership. So all these things will play a role. Uh, what I observe um, is that Akunju will definitely be making into the second round. Probably Ersin Tatar will also be in the second round. Tufan Erhurman is trying to give the message that it will be him going into the second round, not Ersin Tatar. We know that Ersin Tatar is not very much welcomed by the majority of the community because of his failure in in the fight against pandemic. He's, he's, he's made many mistakes. But also I find it, let's say, a little bit difficult to, to think that two pro-federal candidates will be able to make it to the second round when right is also very powerful in the Turkish Cypriot community. So we will see. It is early to say still. I think we'll find it out in a week's time. I'm thinking that there will be second round and the participation will be also very low. Oh, you think it's going to be low? That, that was my other question about the participation. So you don't think that uh, this whole rhetoric about Turkey and the Turkish Cypriots will motivate voters? You think that the... In 2015, participation was around 62% the first round and 65 in the second round. Yes, uh, some Turkish Cypriots will be motivated to go to the ballots. Uh, there is also a, a wing which supports uh, boycotting the elections because they are fed up. They don't believe that anything will change. The ones who will not go to the ballot box is because they are fed up with it, with the whole process, rather than actively politically taking a boycott position. But yeah, I'm expecting maybe um, I don't know, 60% of of participation, and people also have other concerns like economic concerns and coronavirus and they also uh, lost hope especially after Crown Montana but the ones who feel that they are motivated to go to the ballot box because of Turkey's involvement and interventions will definitely be uh, voting for Akuncu and I'm also hoping that uh, more people will go to the ballot box if they find out that Ersin Tatar will be 
competing against uh, Akinji in the second round because people will not like to see Ersin Tatar getting elected. Yes, and as you say, I think that the Turkish Cypriot community is not uh, different in any way with other, from other um, representative systems in which there is this uh, clear problem of, of apathy and of uh, uh, an enhanced abstention from uh, the voting process. So uh, I suppose that we are going to see this Uh, being exemplified in the elections on Sunday. Before we conclude Andromahi, I would like to uh, make a reference to a study which was circulated by Christophoros Christophoru in Twitter about the uh, voting patterns of the Turkish people who came to Cyprus after 74. It is also interesting to observe that those people are not necessarily voting in a specific direction, especially the ones who've been living in Cyprus since 1970s and 80s. So um, it is not easy to make assumptions. We know that uh, there are some people who were given citizenship recently would probably be voting for Kutret because Minister of Interior is from his party. But I don't see that this is going to make a drastic effect in the outcome of the elections. The only problem with the elections, I think uh, neither of the candidates, including Akinci, are making a very clear uh, reference to the future, not giving a very clear vision, not explaining what things will be happening. The whole discussion is taken about their um, leadership qualities and about the past. And this is also not motivating many people so that uh, they are actually not going to the, the ballots. Just to add to your point about uh, voting patterns not being so evident, I remember that when we were uh, at the demonstration uh, against the interventions of Turkey in the Turkish Cypriot community following the attacks against uh, uh, the then Africa, Africa newspaper. newspaper and then Akinci, yes. I remember that we were discussing that there were a lot of Turkish, Turkish young people who are now living in um, in the north, either Turkish or people whose parents are Turkish and who are just like uh, 16, 17 years old, and they were part of the demonstrations against Turkey. So, yes, sometimes, you know, perceptions are uh, can be mistaken, and uh, we shouldn't be uh, eager to rush to conclusions when it comes to who will be voting and how the voting patterns will be shaped. In a week's time, we will be seeing the results Yes. Well, we will speak before a week's time because we have a very interesting discussion on a project about the Committee for Missing Persons uh, uh, in the coming week uh, with Nasia Hajigeorgiou. Uh, yes, I will uh, speak to you soon, Kemal. Good. So we come to the end of this. It's uh, It's been a very uh, politically loaded uh, program. These well, days have been politically loaded and our lives are politically loaded. So <laughs> stop apologizing for this. <laughs> Well, yes, true that. And uh, let's see how the elections will um, open a new maybe dimension to the talks as well. So I think we can clearly say that in a week's time, uh, we'll, be heavy, we'll be discussing different things, I guess, again, uh, all political. Exactly. Perfect. Thank you very Adi much, Kemal. Thank Adi. you very much. I'll talk to you later very soon in the next podcast. Perfect. Thank you. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus. Island Talks. Open. Diverse. Free.